Hello, I'm Betsy, and this morning's reading comes from John 1, 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to, as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that, though, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor the human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Thank you so much. Good morning, folks. And good morning to you in Zoom land as well. If you're joining us from wherever you are, great to have you with us. I'm Etienne, and I get to uh, talk for the next half hour or so. Um, and here's what I want to talk to you about. I want to start with a scene from a book from the Chronicles of Narnia series. So you guys can kick me off in the back. Thank you, Sam, and so on. My, whoop, there we are. Hands up if you know the Chronicles of Narnia series. That just helps me sort of how much I need to say. Okay, good. Most of us know. You might have seen the movies or you might have read the books and the whole thing is really about uh, a group of four children who enter and exit this mythical land of Narnia and the main character in this place is a great big lion who's a metaphoric representation in the mind of the author, C.S. Lewis, of, of, of Jesus. And the children sort of represent humanity, uh, us. And there's this fantastic scene in, in one of the books called Prince Caspian, after the youngest of the four children, a girl named Lucy, encounters Aslan again after a long time of absence from Narnia. And here's what she says. Well, rather, here's what Aslan says. 
Welcome, child, he said. Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not, he said. But every year that you grow, you will find me bigger. I'd like to suggest to you that that is the truth of how it is with the person of Jesus Christ. Every year you know him, every bit that you grow closer to him, he becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's our hope over today, next week, Christmas Day, as Ryan, Jess, Mark, Mike and myself will lead you through some services that as we look at the comings of Jesus in history, in the future, and all the surprising aspects of that, that you would find this Christmas that Jesus Christ is becoming a little bigger to you as he should every day of our lives. The passage we read this morning does exactly that. It talks about the coming, the first coming, the birth of Jesus and and what I'm going to do is I'm simply going to step you through that passage today um, and the way the sermon's going to work is a little bit like a, like a good old Tasmanian summer's day. How does it work? It starts kind of cold and you go, I don't know. It's supposed to be warm today, but it builds. <laughs> and you get to the end and you go, it is hot, isn't it? It did actually get there, even though it's only 8 o'clock at night by the time it actually gets to the, the, the hot Tasmanian summer's day. I, I don't want to say it's going to be boring in the beginning. It's not at all. But, but kind of stay with me because it's a, it's, a, it's a weighty passage with a lot of heavy stuff in it. And I'm going to do my best to heat it up quickly for us to get the full weight of the bigness and the size of Christ in it. Step with me. Here's, here's where it begins. The passage starts by talking about Jesus. It calls him the Word. It, it, I'll, I'll say why in a minute. Just hold on to that. When it says... The word, it's talking about Jesus. But the passage starts and says to us a few things about this word. I'll lift them out to you. It says, in the beginning. Where else do we find these words in the Bible? Genesis. In fact, they're the very first words of the Bible. In fact, it's the very first words of the beginning, sorry, the start or the, 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 the entry point of all of humanity creation, the, the beginning of all things. Who was there? Person of Christ. The Word. Pre-existing, always there. Christ. In the beginning was the Word. And then it goes on to say, in the beginning, two other things about Jesus. Uh, he was God and he was with God. Let's start with he was God. The Christian God as we know him, the Bible portrays to us as one God in three persons. 
Do you understand that? I hope not. Because I think part of why God reveals himself in the way he does to us is, is the mystery that we cannot really understand that. Three persons described to us as the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Each three is equal, has equal status with the other fully God. Three persons, yet one God. And this man, this being, this person of Christ is one of those three. Fully God, pre-existing. Perhaps one reason why God is like that, or at least definitely one of the stunning implications of God being three persons in one is this one, is that the word Jesus was not only God, he was with God. Why would a writer even put that in? Why is that an important distinction? Why not just say he was God? No, he was with God. You know what that tells us about the person of Jesus? It tells us that he was in a relationship with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. An intimate, perfect, glorious expression of what it means for two beings to be in relationship with each other. God is described to us in the Bible as a God of love. You can't love unless you're in the relationship. Love finds expression only in the context of relationship. How can God be a God of love unless he is in relationship? Not in relationship with lesser beings, but in relationship with equal beings. This Father, Son, Holy Spirit is a, is a community of sorts. It's the perfect community. It's the ultimate and highest expression of what love and loving community should look like is who these three beings are to each other. And one of them is the person that you've come to know as Christ. Pre-existing God with God. <laughs> he's, he's already looking bigger, isn't he? <laughs> Aslan. Then he goes on to say he also created all things all things think about that with me will you math brains what number is that I'll give you five seconds to think about it there's 23 zeros I think 23 it's a big number isn't it it's an octillion an octillion. Nothing to do with an octopus. Octillion. I don't know why it's called an octillion, but look, how can we prove this? But it's estimated that would be uh, the amount of known stars that we know about. There's, uh, there's billions of stars in each galaxy. There's millions of galaxies. We think, we think that's how many stars there are. But we wouldn't know, would we? Because we don't know where the universe ends. <laughs> we have no clue. We cannot find out. The word made it. He knows because he made it. That's the size of the person of Christ. Give you another figure, 7.8, maybe 7.9 billion. What would that be of? World population. 7.8 billion people, and you know what the Bible says? He knows the amount of hair on each and every single one of the 7.8 billion. 
In my case, that's getting easier for him as every year goes by. But still, you'd have to say, quite a thing, isn't it? Quite a claim. Love the scripture that we talk about quite often, about Christ having woven you together in your mother's womb at that small, intimate level of DNA out of eternity before a single thing was made. He knew who you would be. Out of all of that vast expanse of things, he knew who you would be. (laughs) This, John, starts to tell us, this this is the word. This is the person of Christ. Pre-existing with God, God, creator of all things. Light, I'll talk more about light in a minute. That's, that's your first point for me today, folks. You can't see it because it's whited out <laughs> on the screens. I'll go and read it. This is sort of the first surprise about Jesus in this passage. He is the God who created life physical and spiritual in full control of all that we know of humanity, of the universe, of world, of all of those things. But not only that, John says, he moves on. He says, surprise number two, not only is Jesus in charge of all things before the world began, he is also in charge of known history. I'm not going to delve too deeply into this, but he introduces to us this person of John the Baptist. We can say a lot about John the Baptist. For now, he was a person who came before Jesus, physically announced and heralded that Jesus was going to come. And the whole point of that is because all throughout human history for thousands of years, there's this prophetic voice that one day someone is going to come, who's going to come before the Messiah, the Christ, the Word. And John the Baptist comes and he fulfills all of that. And the whole point, I think one of the points at least that God wants to tell us is that this word is not just in charge of eternity and creation and the universe. He's also in charge of history. The world's story, it's often been said, is his story. Despite all the confusion, despite all the mystery locked up in it, he is in control of that story. And then we get surprise number three. This is where it gets a little bit more astonishing, I suppose. Let me work through these verses with you. It says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. The true light. We went camping over the weekend, our kids and I. And Dana, I should say. Dana came with. <laughs> Sorry, I'm so used to doing it alone, but Dana came along this time. Um, yeah, that's the other surprise <laughs> of Christmas. <laughs> we went camping uh, as a whole family, and one of the evenings I went for a walk shortly after dark with, um, w- w- with Marty, and you know, we had the torch out, and, and with the light we tried to spot some animals and You know, it's by that light that you can see what's around you. I think when Jesus is sort of described as true light all throughout this passage, really, it it is, it's by him that you can see 
what truly is around you. Truly where you're from. Truly who you are. Truly why you're here. Truly where you're going. Truly what you need to know to be everything a human being needs to be is seen by virtue of this light. That is the true light who came into the world is the claim that verse 9 makes and, and, and the whole passage. And then it sort of moves on. It says, but the true light was rejected. I, I won't sit on this for too long because I want to get there next week. We're going to talk. This is the other big surprise of Christmas is that the true light is rejected. You, I, all of us, every human being, thinks we're the light, thinks something else is the light, anything but Jesus. It's human history story, it's our own individual story. This leads to that surprising aspect of the life of this Jesus, that he should end up where he does on the cross. Next week. For now, can you fast forward to me to the bottom of this section. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Let's talk about Jesus being called the Word. This is the best spot to do it, I think. Why does He become a human baby? Why does this God, who I just described to you, who John describes to us, become something as utterly weak as what the stable scene represents to us? It's all locked up in the answer of why is he described as the Word? I recently had, uh, Dana and I had a, a teenager living with us for a few weeks. And I love teenagers. For no other reason, because I love the way they use language. They're really quite artistic. Literary geniuses, you might say. I learned a lot about words while this teenager stayed with us. Didn't I? Let me tell you, let me tell you a few, and you tell me what these words mean. Uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, Tell me, because I read this article in the paper while she's with us and I confirmed that it's true. This is actually how teenagers speak. And she said, corroborated every single claim this author made. What, what does the word T mean? Anyone? Just, sorry? Yeah, gossip. It's not something you drink. Ah, oh, I've got some tea for you. Gossip. Spill the tea. That is phrasing a nice dinner. No, I spilled the tea this morning. I tell you what. What about dog? Yeah, well, it's a hairy thing on four legs. Pets. That's what most people would think. What is it? A bad person. Yeah, yeah. Or, or I've heard even unfair. We would say that is so unfair. Teenagers would say that is so dog. That's dog, man. Let's stay with animals. What about goat? Yeah, Billy. All right, we need to interpret cracked first, and then we can get to goat. What does it mean to be cracked at something? 
means you're super good at something. If, if you've done well, if we say, man, you are goat at what you're doing. You, are, you cracked at something. Righto, there you go. Goat is not something that goes, bah, and eats grass. No, it means you're good at something. Here's the point. Here's the point. Words, whether they be slang, whether they be normal words, normal people would use in normal ways, words communicate. They reveal. They, in a way, luminary in themselves. They, they, <laughs> they reveal, they communicate, they show. Think about this. The word can flesh. Not as a prophet to give us some other words about what God is like. No, no, no. He is the word. Jesus Christ is the revelation. In some ways you could say the communication. If you want to know what God looks like, who he is, what he's like, the word, you've been given the word. You will not find something grander, something more glorious, something more... Well, I'm lost for words myself. Something more goat <laughs> than, than what you'll find in the Word. So much so that Jesus' followers, you know, at some point in this story in the Gospel of John, they come to him, they say, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says, don't you know me? Don't you know me? I'm he. It's a staggering claim. It's an astonishing statement. And then we can plumb from there deeper and further. Why does he become the word? Why do it? Why go from the pre-existing, eternal, Creator, God, who is with God, through whom all things were created in charge of all history and become that. Well, yes, to reveal. But what's the implication? What, what does that mean? What does it change for you? What does it change for me? That all this is true. Here's what changes. This little passage, John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, has a particularly particular literary structure. It's important that I comment on literary structure in passages from now on because competition is getting hot in the pulpit. So I've got to stay cutting edge before Ryan catches up to me. Just joking. This is called a chiasm. It's a... It's a very unique sort of way in which writers wrote their content in original languages. If you notice, it looks a bit like an X, right? There you go. It's sort of follow those two lines through and it's an X. Passage starts, you can't see it. It talks about verses 1 to 5, all those grand things about Jesus that I shared to you first. Then it goes on to talk about John the Baptist. And then it drops down in verse 15 to talk about John the Baptist again. And then here it zooms right out again. It talks again about Jesus as the giver of 
grace in creation. So it starts with creation, it ends with this big picture of grace, talks about John the Baptist in the middle, two parts, and then right in the centre you get this bit that we now looked at, verses 9 to 14. And right in the centre of verses 9 to 14 is verses 12 and 13. And before I read it to you, I just want to outline, this is why it's important to kind of note this. The reason they write that like that is because they say, you know what the core is? You know what the guts is? You know what you really need to get out of all this passage? It's what I'm going to put in the center of my chiasm, in the middle. Here's what it is. Not that. Verses 12 to 13. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Do you think of yourself like that? Do you understand what an astonishing thing that is? That this word will become a baby to do what he's going to do on the cross so that you might become children of God. Can I ask you this morning, are you are you a child of God? How you know that is very simple. There's all of this about this person, Jesus. Are you at a place in your life where you can say, yes, yes, I, I believe it. A lot of it doesn't make sense to me, but, but I'm ready. And maybe today is the first time in your entire life where you're ready, where you're willing to say, I'm willing to ask Jesus to reveal himself to me. I'm sick of living in darkness. I need light. I need to understand more of all the questions of life that I need and I'm willing to say that yes, it is in this person of Jesus who came at Christmas that I'll find the light that I need. Can I ask you today, and I'm going to pray a prayer at the end of this message, and, and, and I ask you to pray it in your own heart with me. If not, I ask you to pray it at home. Simple prayer. Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me? I want to see. I want to know. <laughs> I want to know God. This is why he came. This is what all of Christmas is about. Pray it, would you? And would you become, from there, wherever God leads you, a child of God who then grows as a child of God? What does that look like? What do you get as a child of God? Well, many things. But I'd like to just highlight one more thing in the passage and then I'll finish off. Passage finishes 
by saying this. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. It's a strange thing to say, isn't it? Grace in place of grace. What on earth does that mean? Grace, by the way, is being given something you don't deserve. In some ways we could say that we receive in Jesus grace in place of grace or grace upon grace already. There was a lot of grace in giving us the whole world but then after we rejected him, he dies for us. That's, that's grace upon grace. <laughs> and then he promises he'll come again and he'll give us even more. All right, so that's, that's at, a, at a big picture already. We can say grace upon grace upon grace. And the idea of grace upon grace is, is that it's inexhaustible. God is never going to stop giving grace. So it's true at that level, but it's also true in your individual life, at your individual level as a child of God. Here's what it means. Let me illustrate it to you with what I've got here. I've got a whole heap, oops, whole heap of candles. I like this candle and I, I, I urge you to think about just for illustration's sake, Jesus as this image of light in your life. Jesus comes in and, and, and I've just invited you to pray a prayer for this candle to be lit, for you to know that Jesus is everything who he says he is. You become a child of God and then the process starts. This is what Jesus does. Your life is a bit like this row of candles. And you know, before you know Jesus, then without a Jesus, it's pretty dark, it's pretty cold, it's pretty unlit. But then here's what he does. Little by little, he takes his light and he just starts to light something else up. Your unforgiveness and bitterness. He says, I want my grace to work with that. Your your addictions. I want to work with that. I want to bring light into that part of your life. Your loneliness. I'll work with that. Your lack of love. I'll work with that. Your impatience. Your unkindness. I'll, I'll work with that. It's, it's dark. Let me bring light into that. And here's the thing. Does this candle burn any less bright after I've lit four more? It doesn't. <laughs> this candle will burn out eventually. But the reality is Jesus is not like a candle, is he? He's more like the sun. Inexhaustible. It doesn't matter how many people he makes children of God, how wide and far he extends the light that he has brought into the world. He himself will not burn any less brighter. It doesn't matter how many candles in your life he has to light to bring the light of the world into your life, how much darkness there is, how much brokenness there is, how much work he has to do. He is inexhaustible to give you grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. 
This is who God is. This is what God does. And this is what you get. And what you get to be a part of as a child of God. (laughs) The light has come into the world. And the light wants to come into your life. (laughs) Such a promise. Such hope. Such comfort. And I dare say, such greatness. Such majesty. Such awe. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, you are great. Too often our failure as people is not in anything but our inability to understand how big you are, how bright you are, how inexhaustible your light is. I pray this morning for the person sitting in this room who is in darkness, who has no light, no knowledge of you, but but cold and scared and broken. Would you bring light, I pray, Lord Jesus. Reveal yourself to them. In fact, as Pathway would say, ignite. Ignite their faith. Bring them to yourself, Lord Jesus. And then I pray for all the unlit candles and areas of each of our lives that still need your grace. Will you bring it there too? May this Christmas be the time where light breaks in widely, deeply. We pray for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Music team, you're up. Stand and sing.